When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. Wilson! Wilson! E.T. This is Simon Rose. You join us for the business of film. And I'm in conversation as ever with James Cameron Wilson as we discuss what's been happening at the cinema. I seem to recall last week every existing film just basically dropped through a hole in the floor um, because we had a new movie that stole everything before it. You're absolutely right. Your memory is not faulting you. Not a um, film I particularly wanted to go and see, I recall. <laughs> well, I don't think it's a film that anybody should go and see. Uh, yeah. It is so. Doctor Strange in the sort of Doctor Strange multiverse or something, and well, in the multiverse of madness, and of course, the actual box office take over the previous weekend was up one hundred and fifty-one point four percent of the previous weekend. Mm. So it was good from that point of view, but obviously there are no major new films this weekend, so it's now plummeted again to buy 57.8% down Mm. from the previous weekend. Mm. But inevitably, Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness is still at number one, although it has plummeted 71%. It still made 5.7 million over the weekend. And it's already in 10 days, or maybe I think that's 11 days to be accurate, has made more by £7 million in the entire gross of the previous Doctor Strange, which was a much better film. And if you can catch it on any platform, it is great fun. Mm-hmm. And avoid, avoid the new one. So it's got a total now already in 11 days of £30.4 million. And I just lost the will to live. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So I can recommend the film at number two, which is Downton Abbey, A New Era, which Mm. I think I probably enjoyed more than any other film I've seen on a cinema screen this year. Interesting how how sentiments are drained, because I've been meeting a few other people who have also seen it, and some like it, some are slightly indifferent, some don't like it as much as the first film. The the one common um, piece of information I've got is that Hugh Bonneville not only looks incredibly thin, but also looks very orange. Yes, I almost mentioned that in my review, because they're all going to the south of France. Well, I thought, well, he's obviously already been to the yes, south of France. Yes, yes. He's incredibly tan. Yeah, Which is odd, because it was a away. period when people often would, would try and keep out of the sun. Well, indeed. Yeah. So that was a slight slip-up, I think, because they should have reduced his tan for the part because but if i yeah, recall you said it was some something like sumptuous on the eye um occasionally moving and 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 often funny yes oh and, and exciting use the word exciting which you don't really expect with downton abbey 
No, there were moments of excitement. And I know a lot of people who actually went to see it based on my review. Hmm. They said I went reluctantly. And you were right. It was amazingly oh, well, how lovely. entertaining. Well, I might try and go and see it. I mean, um, but you did say last week, though, that, that, that one of the reasons it hadn't been doing very well is that you thought that the, 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 you know, the grey pound didn't necessarily yes. want to be tempted back into the cinema. So you say it's number two, but against this awful Doctor Strange film, um, is it actually with a decent take or not? Well, it's made uh, 10.4 million quid so far. It's down 38%. So it's holding much stronger than Doctor Strange, which mm. fell by 71%. But it was down 50% last week, wasn't it? Well, I know. Yes, yeah. it, it, it was. It was down exactly 50% the previous yes. and, week. And we, so, and we, you know, we seem to be going through a spell of decent weather, which is never very good for the cinema. As, as we discuss regularly, because I know you've got American um, contacts, but of course in America, when, when the weather is hot, people go to the cinema. Well, It's the place to keep yes. cool, but that, people haven't sussed that out in this country. Well, I have to apologise that my local multiplex, which has six screens, mm. didn't have a single new film last weekend. Wow. So I wasn't able to see the film at number three, which is called Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which made £681,000, which is from Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, who you will remember directed Swiss Army Man with Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe playing. Oh, yes, of course I remember that. (laughs) But it is now showing my cinema, so I will see it in time to review it for next week's programme. But it, uh, it's done surprisingly well, uh, considering it's such, it sounds like a really interesting odd film, and not unlike Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, in so much there are several multiverses in it, uh, starring Michelle Yeoh and Jamie Lee Curtis. It's had very favourable reviews. My critic who reviewed it for my website gave it four and a half stars out of five, so I think I'm in for a treat. That's a very high rating for my website. It does sound, I must say, it sounds quite interesting. I've seen Jamie Lee Curtis in anything for a long time. I know she seems to crop up occasionally in sort of revival of, of you know horror franchise that she was in once, but that's not my sort of thing, as you know. Knives Out, I think, was the last oh, yes. really good oh, thing yeah, she yes. did. But that's what, that must be four, four years ago now, something like that. Is it really four years ago? So, I mean, no, I may be wrong, but it's certainly more than two. Yes, I, I would probably have guessed three, but you may be right, because yeah. we just lose time, don't we? Yeah. Anyway, so everything, everywhere, all at once, I think I can recommend. My website recommends it. Um, <laughs> right. Number four, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which is one of the worst films of the year, down mm. a mere 18%. It's now got a total of £24.2 million. Pounds. Now, this will excite you, Simon, at number five, Little Mix Live, the final show for now, which is obviously a concert cinema live one-off event release. But can you believe it's been 11 years, Simon, since Little Mix won the X Factor? Where does the time fly? The X Factor, I believe, is a television (laughs) programme. In which people try and impress. Do, do we know who Little Mix is? I've no idea. No. Okay, they're a British girl band. Yeah. I've got a feeling the only time I've ever heard Little Mix mentioned was by you. There's probably been another concert film. Oh yeah, absolutely. This, this yeah. is the final show in oh, brackets right, okay. for now. Ellipses, right. Yeah, yeah. End bracket. Yeah. Anyway, at number six, we've got The Lost City down 
27% with a total of £9.3 million. And if you're going to see it, see it for Brad Pitt, who is so funny in this. Mm. Uh, number seven, uh, the strongest holdover of the weekend was The Bad Guys, which was a fun Ocean's Eleven anthropomorphic type cartoon down just 3% mm. for a total of £11.4 million. Number eight, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, which was at number five, down 29% for a total of just over £20 million, which I thought was, it's not saying much, but I thought was the best of the three of the Fantastic Beasts franchise. Now, I have seen a film in the top ten, because I had to go further afield in order to do my stuff on this programme. And I did go to see Firestarter, which I think we can talk about before the break, if I may, which made okay. 200, it made 250000 at 512 cinemas for a per-screen average of 488 yeah. quid. I remember as a child being fascinated by, we are talking about a film called Fire Starter. Yes, yes, yes. I remember yeah. uh, being fascinated by spontaneous human combustion, the phenomenon in which people burst into flames for no apparent reason. Hmm. I have a book called Photographs of the Unknown with a very grisly image of a partially burned bathroom and a solitary foot still stuck in a slipper. The foot belonged to the 92-year-old John Bentley, a retired doctor, and nobody knows how the rest of him could have caught fire and with such obvious intensity without the bathroom going up in flames. Have you heard of spontaneous human combustion? I have heard of it. I can't say I've read very much about it of late. It would seem to be as a, one of those very popular unexplained phenomenon for, for quite a it while. It was, particularly in the 19th century. Poor old John Bentley, even his Zimmer frame is only minimally scorched. There's just that foot. It's a really horrible photograph. Charles Dickens wrote of the phenomenon in Bleak House when Crook, the rag dealer, was reduced, and I quote, to a small charred and broken log of wood. The odd thing about the victims of spontaneous human combustion is that so little of the surrounding area is affected. And so we segue from Charles Dickens to Stephen King, in which an 11-year-old girl has the ability to set things alight with her mind. Like the 13-year-old May in Pixar's Turning Red, whose emotions get the better of her and turn her into a big red panda, mm. Charlie McGee gets all hot and flustered when she gets emotional. However, in the 1980 novel, Charlie comes by this attribute, if you want to call it that, because of a nefarious experiment conducted by a shady government organization. Her parents, played here by Zac Efron and Sidney Lemon, took an LSD-like drug called Lot 6, which gave them minor telepathic abilities, but which was passed on to their baby, Charlie, as parakinesis. She's like a fiery version of Stephen King's Carrie. Mm. Even in her cot, she sets fire to the mobile dang dangling above her, and she has to learn to control her heated outbursts. We then cut to Charlie as an 11-year-old when she's played by the absurdly pretty Ryan Kira Armstrong. The government are now after the family in order to cover their tracks, and the McGees have to live off the grid. 
And because Charlie doesn't have Wi-Fi at home, she's ostracized at school and considered weird. Mm. I kept on thinking, what a great film this would make. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, if only the director, Keith Thomas, had managed to introduce a single note of credibility. So here we've got spontaneous human combustion, families living without Wi-Fi, but no, this unfortunately yeah. is very much of the bargain bin straight to video fodder. Mm. And Zach, if Zach Efron is listening to this, it's just a coincidence that your last eight films I've reviewed on the show, Zach, Neighbours, That Awkward Moment, Dirty Grandpa, Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates, Neighbours 2, Baywatch, The Disaster Artist, and now Firestarter, really didn't light my fire. It's nothing personal. I did really like you, Zach, in Me and Orson Welles. Oh, I was about to say that's my favourite film that I've seen him in, yes. <laughs> that's a great film. I wouldn't mind re-watching that soon. Well, she must be very useful for barbecues, though. Yes. That At least if you're going to give a charcoal lit, though she might overdo the meat. Yeah. Incidentally, Zach, if you're still listening, I, and you're probably wondering why I haven't mentioned the first film, based on King's novel, Firestarter, which starred Drew Barrymore as Charlie. And I really haven't mentioned it because it wasn't much better than this one. I think the whole notion of somebody being able to, we are, what, we're 90% water or something? Being able to set things on fire. I just thought it was a, it's a rubbish notion, concept, premise. And I just think the film is just so unbelievable and derivative and formulaic and generic. Well, James, uh, it's time for us, I think, to take a brief breather, let you catch your breath. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rays. You're listening to The Business of Film on Share Radio, where I'm in conversation with James Cameron Wilson, who has just been telling us about a rather dismal fire starter. Clearly rather too damp to catch light, James. So where now? Well, at number 10, we've got Sakuru Vara Pata, which is a Telugu action drama, i.e. Mm -hmm. it's an Indian Bollywood action drama yep. thing, which are doing very well at the British box office. But I would like to talk about a film at number 12 called Operation Mincemeat, oh, starring right. Colin Firth, Matthew McFadden, uh, Jason Isaacs, Kelly MacDonald, and I thought the wonderful Penelope Wilton. But I believe you've now caught good. up with it. I have finally caught up with it. Yes, it took me, took me time. Um, I'm trying to work out where to, where to go and see it, and then came across this new cinema in London called Cinema in the Arches, which is in the Battersea Power Station complex, and I've been wanting to go and have a look around there. And it was lovely on a nice sort of summer evening, lots of places to eat and drink, and this lovely little sort of bijou-ish sort of cinema. It can't have been more than about 30 seats inside, nice reclining chairs, tables you can take drinks in, food into, just, you know, frankly, what it ought to be. I mean, it's such an antithesis to the normal soulless multiplex. And the film itself, we thought, was really intriguing. I mean, it's just, you know, it's a very standard British story. I know that it is has been updated based on the Ben McIntyre book, so there'll be much more information that's accurate, I'm sure, than there was in the 1950s film, The Man Who Never Was. Um, so it, I knew the story. It didn't excite us, but a lot of really good actors, as you've mentioned, good British actors, um, at the top of their game, I thought. Absolutely fascinating. I'm, I'm sure 
some of it is not true, and I can't help feeling that the, the romance was probably invented. Um, what between Kelly MacDonald and Colin Firth? Yes, yes, that was uh, all very true. Was it? Yes, it was. Oh, okay. Expect, she Didn't was twenty in real life. She was right. twenty. She right. was very, very. She was young enough to be his granddaughter. Right. Well, but I but, you know it was it, it was an intriguing film. I want to see the original just to, to contrast and compare. I seem to remember things like, you know, trying to make sure that all the tailoring was right and labels in clothes and um, lots of things. I didn't think that what they call in the film the wallet litter. I didn't think that was handled incredibly interestingly. But it was a really interesting, nice um, evening at Solid. the cinema. Solid. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a very good word. And frankly, you know, too few films these days are. Days were when you used to get, you know, a, a, the average quality of film, maybe not always British film, you know, was dependable. But that seems to be, seems to be so few and far between these films. You go through the chart, and you know, often you say, "Well, there are only two in the chart that I'd even want I know, to." You know, I know. Go and have I mean, looking at, at the chart now, chart. I would recommend *Downton Abbey: A New Era*. Mm. I think I'm going to enjoy everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes, it sounds interesting. Uh, the bad guys. And Operation Mincemeat. Now, I would like, I would not recommend the film at number 16, which, again, I went far afield to catch mm. just because I thought it was bound to be number two because it's starring Mark Wahlberg and Mel Gibson. But yes. it did really badly. It made 60,000 at 203 cinemas for a per screen average of 300 quid. What, what's this one called, do you say? It's called Father Stew, and it's a real anomaly. It's a very unpleasant film about faith. It's the true story of Stuart Long, who in 1985 won the Golden Gloves heavyweight title for Montana and then had his jaw broken, necessitating reconstructive surgery. In the film, he is depicted as a boorish, arrogant, profane, insufferable racist turning from the boxing ring to show business. This is the character played by Mel Gibson. This is the character played by Mark Wahlberg. Oh, okay. Right. It is produced by Wahlberg, who invested millions of his own money into the project while piling on £30 to play the boxer in his later years. Now, if this sounds familiar to you... Well, I mean, that's what De Niro did for Raging Bull. But whereas Raging Bull, in which Robert De Niro transferred his body into yeah. a muscular vessel and then covered it in 60 pounds of flab, was a work of art, Father Stew is not. <laughs> as an equally unpleasant man as Stuart Long was his father, Bill, played by Mel Gibson here, mm. whose girlfriend, Rosalind Ross, in real life, wrote and directed the film producing alongside Wahlberg. And it's mm. a real labour of love. But whereas Raging Bull was utterly compelling in its realism, Father Stew is like that drunken man in a bar with halitosis and a poor singing voice. Mm. The main problem with the movie is that nothing feels real. There are jarring mm. cuts from one scene to the next. And one's never entirely sure where one is. Yet Stuart Long's life was truly extraordinary. And one can feel Wahlberg's desperate passion to do it justice. But maybe it's because Stu is terrified of having his jaw broken again that Wahlberg seems barely able to open his mouth. He is in that in intimate cadre of American actors that includes Casey Affleck 
Robert Downey Jr. and Joaquin Phoenix, who refused to enunciate for the sake of realism mm. and rob the audience of the chance of knowing what is going on. Marlon Brando mumbled, but you could hear what he was saying yes. because acting is an art form, a medium in which you fake realism, but not at the expense of comprehension. Besides, Marlon Brando was a trained actor and trained by none other than Aliyah Kazan and Stella Adler. However, I don't want to put you off, Father Stu, because the story is so remarkable, although it failed to either convince or to move me. Structurally, it is awkward and might have proved more effective if less time had been devoted to Stu's earlier life, even though it feels rushed. Essentially, it's a four-act drama, but it's Stu's early life that hangs over the film. He's the product of a broken home. So you begin with him as a child. The, this domestic status quo is shattered when his four-year-old brother dies of meningococcus, uh, men, what is it? Meningococcus, forcing his father to turn to drink and his mother to bitterness, played by Jackie Weaver. Stu himself channeled his pain into his pugilism. Then following an infection from his broken jaw, he had a Morris Flitcroft moment and decided that an acting career would be easier than getting pummeled in the ring. But like Morris Flitcroft, played by Mark Rylance in The Phantom of the Open, who thought golf would be a cinch, mm. Stu's greatest moment in the spotlight ended up flogging a mop in a TV commercial. Then he sees the light, which can hardly come as a surprise for anybody who has read the film's title on the marquee, which I think is unfortunate, because that is the last part of the film. Mm. And I hate to remind you, but the film is called Father Stu. Yeah. Yes, yes. But his story doesn't stop there. And I'm not going to tell you where it goes afterwards. And I just felt I wanted to know more about this. This is really getting interesting. But I so hated him, the character, by this time <laughs> that I really wasn't interested. However, the intrusive, twangy guitar-driven score, ungainly editing, and general unpleasantness of it all hardly endeared me or um, to, to the subject matter. And I just, I get so annoyed when I could hear everybody else. I could hear Jackie Weaver. She's Australian. I could hear Mel Gibson. He spent, a, he spent a lot of time in Australia, although, of course, he was born in New York and he lives in America. A lot of people think Mel Gibson is Australian. He's not. But I could hear him. Yeah, I'm afraid I think I did, yes. Yeah, well, I could hear what they were saying, except for Mark Wahlberg. I found it a really unpleasant film. And I know that we're running out of time, but I think we should maybe mention that we have lost uh, a very fine movie star this week who died at the age of 79 of a, his family wouldn't reveal what it was that he died of, Fred Ward. Oh. Hmm. Who uh, worked, um, he did a number of films with Robert Altman. He also did a couple of films with Phil Kaufman. He played Gus Grissom in The Right Stuff. And I probably know him, uh, Henry and June as well. I probably know him, he played Henry Miller, didn't he? I probably, I may be wrong. He was definitely in Henry and June. Wonderful sort of craggyish sort of face. And I suppose a lot of people were knowing best from Tremors and the, the sequel, the sci-fi film about subterranean worms. Well, all worms oh, are so subterranean. I'm not sure if I've seen him in anything relatively recently, but yeah. No, he hasn't done lovely. anything for ages. 
Lovely. Well, he turned into, I mean, most of the things more recently would have been character acting, presumably. I can't, I can't remember him starring in anything for a long time. No, I think he did a lot of director video stuff. Yeah. Oh, well, I hadn't, I hadn't seen that, but I no doubt I'll be reading it a bit too very soon. James, thank you very much indeed. That's James Cameron Wilson there with the business of film for this week. James, of course, we'll be back next week. With luck, there'll be rather more new to report in his local multiplex. Thank you very much indeed, James. You talking to me? Bond. James Bond. <laughs>